When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. I started in myeloma nearly 25 years ago. And at that time, the average expectation of life in someone with myeloma was maybe one to two years. But even just in this last 10 to 12 years, we have doubled, if not tripled, the average survival of patients. I saw a new patient this week, and we had this conversation that based on what we've done over the last decade, my expectation is that patient's going to live more than 10 years. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. What is going on, Belly Up Sports fam? Mr. Shaka Cummings, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, welcome to F in Sports, the podcast with two teachers' great sports biggest issues. And Mr. Ainsworth, I'm instantly jumping in with a gold star. To Mr. and Mrs. Parker Ainsworth, <laughs> congratulations, sir. Thanks, Jacques. It's been a fun weekend. I'm happy to get a, get to talk sports for a minute, but it's been a fun and busy weekend. So hang on to watch a lot in the last couple of days, but I'm here to talk about it. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's not like you need to be informed to do this show anyway. Uh, let's, go ahead. <laughs> let's go ahead and actually jump into our gold stars and detentions. Uh, I will jump in with a gold star for Taysom Hill, who's going to be making his first Start as an NFL quarterback. He is 30 years old. He's out of BYU, and he's the jack-of-all-trades for the New Orleans Saints. Drew Brees is out. Everyone thought Jameis Winston was going to be the starting quarterback, and it looks like they're going with Taysom Hill. Um, I actually (laughs) picked him up on my fantasy team to play him at tight end because ESPN's letting you do that. So gold star to him for getting that start, and let's hope that he uh, turns my fantasy team around. I've lost four in the last five. (laughs) As I sit here in my childhood bedroom, it's funny to think of Taysom Hill because I have lots of Longhorn paraphernalia around. And it makes me feel better that he destroyed Texas many years ago, it feels like now. He had his ACL torn in his other leg with a giant knee brace on and still ran all over Texas. And now he's at least doing it to pros as well. So I think maybe that wasn't as bad as I thought it was. No, absolutely. <laughs> um, I think of the hop into the end zone. We leaps the Texas defender, then scores a the touchdown. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh. That dude is mm-hmm. good, obviously. 
Um, <laughs> uh, you want to go ahead and hit us with the gold star? Yeah, my first gold star goes to Jarvis Landry. Um, he's not quite the same amount of trades, but he's a jack of many trades, I guess, there in Cleveland. Um, he always has very cool custom cleats and whatnot, and he had a, an iconic picture of Allen Iverson painted on the side of his cleats today as an homage to the six-foot wonder. I think I, I'm in the same generation where I, I remember Iverson being like the guy that was six-foot and under because he's really probably five, ten and a half. Um, and we all wanted to be Allen Iverson there for a long period. Um, but shout out to Jarvis Lander for a cool pair of cleats and honoring the answer himself. No, absolutely. Uh, my gold star is going to go to the UFC. You know, I love the gold star to UFC when they put on a good pay-per-view. And they did that yesterday. So two championship fights. It was a great night of fights. So you had uh, Davison Figueredo, who was the champion at 125. Um, he got a submission victory, keeps his belt. And then you have Valentina Shevchenko, whose nickname is The Bullet, which tells you a little bit about how dangerous people think that she is. Uh, she was in her <laughs> first real fight, basically, in the last few years. She actually went five rounds with Jennifer Maya. Jennifer Maya won a round, too, which is nuts because no one's been able to touch Shevchenko. So um, they both held on, won their titles, great night of fights. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing what's next because I'm hopeful that we'll get the Shevchenko-Maya rematch. But uh, Figueredo looks like a monster. As much as a 125-pound man can look like a monster, he looks he looks like a monster. Mr. Ainsworth, you want to hit us with your last gold star? Yeah, my last gold star goes to, uh, you know, not quite as little as Allen Iverson, but another little guy in the NBA. Um, I'm going to Fred Van Vliet with this gold star. Uh, four years ago, Fred Van Vliet, it, it's funny in this video I'm watching of him, host a draft party and got passed over in the draft for all 60 picks. He was an undrafted player and he has this long speech he's given everyone that's there to celebrate with him about how, you know, they're telling me he's going to go as a free agent and the D league and this, then the other. And in the last, what is this? 24 hours, uh, Fred Van Leet went from undrafted in 2016 to a four year, $85 million contract in Toronto yesterday. Uh, and so I just want to say bet on yourself kiddos because that is exactly why you do it. Congrats to Fred Van Vliet and his agent, honestly, for <laughs> pumping that up. He set the record for largest contract by an undrafted player, correct? The four years, $85 that's, million? Yeah, that's in the article, I believe, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, obviously, anytime you can make $85 million, that's amazing. But to go from, you know, having to give a concession speech, essentially, at your draft party to $85 right. million, uh, not a bad deal. Um, let's go ahead and jump into detentions. Uh, my detention, first detention goes to the Chicago Cubs. And the Chicago Cubs, for over a century, had no championships. And they were the lovable losers and it was wait until next year. You get <laughs> Theo Epstein in, right? Um, you get Joe Madden in, right? And now all of a sudden, you have legitimacy and those dudes pull it together to win a championship in Chicago. So the lovable losers are no longer lovable losers. They, in fact, are champions. Joe Madden is no longer with the organization. And Theo Epstein this week resigned his position as a head of baseball operations. So now the guys who came in to turn around a century of losing, they're both gone. And I don't know what's going on with the Cubs. Maybe this is all the plan. Like, maybe this is always a plan. But it feels weird to never win, <laughs> then have two guys who help you to win, and both those guys are now gone. Like, it feels like Chicago really messed this up by not keeping 
the guys who actually helped you to win for the first time in over a century. Like, those guys should have been able to retire as members of that organization if that's what they wanted to do. So it just feels weird that they're both not there anymore. Agreed, and I think uh, we'll talk a little bit later about teams that we like letting go of people that have helped us win for the first time in a while, but um, that's, <laughs> that's going to be a theme today, I think. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, go ahead, hit us with your detention. My first detention today uh, is probably more controversial, I think, because in the last hour, it looks like we're like, oh my gosh, how great for him. Um, but Donovan Mitchell signed a contract extension today for what could be up to $195 million. And in the wake of just giving uh, Fred Van Vliet a gold star for making half of that. That seems kind of odd. No, my absolutely. <laughs> my detention goes to, this is a year early. There's a lot more money to be made next year when they don't give up a 3-1 deficit and a first round of the playoffs. And when he continues to grow, we saw his growth in the, the four-month abbreviated COVID offseason before the bubble. He could have another big jump. And so we're signing this. It feels like really, really early and you don't necessarily know what the team's going to look like because, you know, they're letting dudes go. Anyway, I think that, you know, he might have wanted to test the open market more a year from now. I don't really know why he's doing that right now. So that's my my detention is for going early, I guess, not the number itself. But I think he had more time on the clock. Okay, that I could buy that for a dollar. Now, what I will say is that we do get a lot of folks who get props for team-friendly deals, right? Literally Tom Brady's entire career, he gets props for team-friendly deals that helps New England to be able to structure things around him. And maybe Donovan Mitchell's thinking along those lines, like, I could do this early, this deal's going to look a little bit better a few years down the road, and now Utah can help hopefully structure some things around me. Because Utah is the <laughs> team that lost Gordon Hayward, right? They're the team that... A couple years back, yeah. You know what I mean? So uh, it's not necessarily a free agency destination for folks. So I, I, I kind of get maybe what the line of thinking is. It's just hard for me to detention a man who's going to make $160 million <laughs> on, a bad, on a bad contract. Like that, the worst I, contract, he's making that. <laughs> yeah, I just I had to explain myself. But I think he had more in the tank. So that's my detention. Absolutely. I'm going to go ahead and uh, throw a detention out to Penn State. Penn State lost again yesterday. They are 0 for the season. Iowa smoked them yesterday. And everyone's beaten them. Everyone's beating Penn State. Penn State started this year, guys, ranked in the top 10. And they would, have been, they would have been ranked in the top 10 regardless of COVID. They would have been ranked in the top 10 regardless of COVID. They didn't start in the top 10 because of COVID. People watched Penn State and believed that this was one of the 10 best teams in the country based on performance in previous years, based on talent coming back. And they are, they're not good. They're not good. The best uh, effort that they gave was their first game of the season versus Indiana, which now when Indiana loses that game to Ohio State by a touchdown, and they basically, Indiana had every opportunity to win that game yesterday. Now you understand how good Indiana is. And so when you see Penn State basically played them into overtime, you're like, oh, well, that doesn't look as bad. Well, the rest of it looks awful, though. Michigan State, Iowa, Michigan, everyone beats Penn State. People can talk about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan and what might happen there or Scott Frost in Nebraska and what might happen there when they look at Big Ten and coaches on the hot seat. Uh, James Franklin's seat is as hot as anyone's because, again, that team was thought to be a top 10 team and they were 0 for the season. They're not going to make a bowl game. <laughs> they're 0 for the season. So um, detention, Penn State, just I don't know. This is one of the teams of my youth, by the way. I used to root for Penn State. So please figure it out. Interesting. <laughs> I didn't know you were a Penn State guy. I'm oh, also going to detention. Oh, gosh. I don't even want to get into the Penn State details because I used to go to football camps and stuff there, and we know that 
that wasn't a great situation for everyone. Uh, go ahead. This <laughs> is worth your detention. My my detention is also going to go to a college football team in Oklahoma State, and it's really not because it's un, it's not like we can't understand how they lose to Oklahoma yesterday, but it's because I literally just said last week on the podcast that they were the Big Twelve Conference's lone shot at a one loss team, and then they show up yesterday and lay a big. Big goose egg to Oklahoma. One of us intelligently knew <laughs> that this is what Oklahoma State is, and the other one tried to tell me different. I yeah. told you, this is who they are. 41-13, to 13, the, uh, Oklahoma State was the higher-ranked team, and they lost by almost 30 points in a football game. I just Anyway, so detention Oklahoma State, you got to show up in the big games and make me look at least, at least show up and make it a close game, make me look like I'm not a complete idiot. So You know what's funny is I remember back in the late 2000s, when Oklahoma State used to give Oklahoma heck in Bedlam, and they beat them a couple of years where Oklahoma wasn't expecting to lose to those guys. And that's so flipped, obviously, over the last decade, where Oklahoma State goes into that game with expectations and can't do anything. I mean, they couldn't do anything yesterday. Now, their quarterback gets hurt. Chuba Hubbard is not healthy. But what Oklahoma State had been hanging their hat on all season was their defense. And they gave up 41 to Oklahoma. So that's that lets 41. you know how good the defense is. To a, to a young quarterback, too. It's one of the first times they've had a young quarterback. So um, let's go ahead and we'll jump into the pod. We're going to talk about NBA free agency and the draft and the craziness that was this week in the NBA. We're going to do uh, a little uh, segment on Heisman and who the front runners might be. And then, uh, in honor of the Ainsworth wedding, we will wrap up with a conversation about power couples in sports. So, without further ado, <laughs> Mr. Ainsworth, are you ready to go, sir? Ready when you are, Shaka. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, we're going to go ahead and do a bit of a multiple choice segment to cover the last week in the NBA. Because between the draft and free agency, we've essentially had our offseason for the 2020 year. Uh, Basketball will be back (laughs) this time next month. Basketball will be back. So uh, let's go ahead and jump in with our first multiple choice question. And the question reads, the grade that I would give to the Charlotte Hornets for their offseason is an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F. How would you grade the Charlotte Hornets offseason, Mr. Ainsworth? <laughs> I'm sitting at what I think is a B out of those options. I'd say I said it a B. What do you think, Mr. Cummings? I'm probably with you with the B. Um, I give them props for both their draft and what they were able to do in free agency. So talk to me a little bit about where your B comes from. Well, they were, you know, they drafted LaMelo at third. And I think that there was a lot of talk about LaMelo maybe going much earlier, right? And so I think anytime you get a guy that is rumored as a number one pick and you don't have the number one pick, you can call that a win. Uh, regardless of what you think about LaMelo or LeVar Ball and the Ball family, all indications are that the six seven point guard will at least be able to come in and make some plays on offense right away. He's, a good, he's good at distributing the basketball. He has shown he can score and shoot even if he has a funky-looking release. And I think that that's a big, big move. They clearly are a young team with guys like Devontae Graham had the big jump last year. You know, people question what Jordan can do as an owner and what they've done and what decisions they've made. But, you know, you get the, get the correct young guys in and you let, kind of let the rest of the chips fall where they are. They also, I think, as a later pick, and I'm sure you're going to go on about, is they got Nick Richards out of Kentucky, <laughs> who I really liked at Kentucky. He's big, he's long, he's athletic. He's kind of a modern big in a lot of those kind of ways. And they got him late, which probably signifies more about what 
bigs are doing in 2020 than anything about him. And then, you know, the the other big move they made in free agency is they're the team that pulls in Gordon Hayward for a big deal. And so, you know, if Gordon Hayward can come back and be some semblance of himself from Utah, the all-star Utah days, um, he had flashes of that in Boston. It just didn't seem like there was enough shots to go around for him. And so... No, absolutely. Everything you said, I 100% agree with. What we have to remember about Gordon Hayward is that basically, what, an hour into his big contract with Boston, he gets injured and misses an entire year. So um, he has to come back. And then when he comes back, he comes back to the Kyrie crazy team. Like he didn't come, you know what I mean? The year that they were most solid was the year that he was injured. So now he comes back to the Kyrie craziness. And then his third year, um, still kind of dealing with injury. I mean, now they're trying to figure out, you know, the shot situation. But you have guys who have now developed into basically superstars. So it's a tough deal. I understand why he wanted to get out of Boston, which is crazy. He had $34 million coming to him if he stayed. And he decided, right. now nah, I'm going to bounce. But he bounces into a four-year, $120 million contract. So um, he landed pretty soft. <laughs> so that's not a bad deal. <laughs> um, the thing with Charlotte as well that's interesting is they have a lot of young guys who they ended up getting out of the draft that were highly rated. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with all of these picks, right? Because I don't know if it's a deal that we're waiting for on Vernon Carey or if it's a deal that we're waiting for on Jalen McDaniels. But let me just say this. If you go look at the rating of prospects who ended up being freshmen last year, Vernon Carey and Jalen McDaniels are in the top 10. So these are guys who have talent. And if you just bring in enough of these young guys who have talent, Maybe one of them pops along with a Nick Richards, right? And they still have um, guys like uh, Miles Bridges who need to develop as well. P.J. Washington who uh, began developing as well along with a Devontae Graham. So it feels like they are set up to kind of have a young core of guys who are all on reasonable contracts. And now we just see which one of these young guys begin to emerge. And if any of these guys begin to emerge as anything, uh, Charlotte's got something. How would you rate the Philadelphia 76ers 2020 offseason, Mr. Ainsworth? Would you give it an A, a B, a C, a D, or an F? And I know this one is particularly close to your heart. <laughs> well, and it it feels funny because, you know, everyone in the list of the pod knows I'm a Rockets guy and I'm also a Maury disciple. And so while that crossed over for a while, this still feels like a homer pick because I think if the Sixers did get an A, I don't think it's over. I don't think it's done. I think we'll be talking a lot more about them in the next week or maybe even by the time this podcast goes live. But I think what the Sixers have done so far is certainly A quality work. You got, you know, they bring in Dwight Howard to be a bench big. They bring in a bunch of shooting about some, you know, brought in some guys I really, really like as floor spacers. Um, I, I could talk on and on about Daryl Morey and his moves, but I want to hear what you say first before I go too much farther. Okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna tentatively give it an A, but I almost feel like it's an incomplete because there's still a potential move to be made that we don't know if it's going to be made or not. So, like, if, right. if it ends right here and they decide that they're going to go into the season with Embiid and Simmons, you know, with Seth Curry providing shooting, Alex Burks providing shooting, Tobias Harris still on the team, Doc Rivers coaching them, they were able to get Al Horford's contract off the books, which is amazing. The fact that anybody amazing. took Al Horford's deal is stunning. But they were able to make all this work. <laughs> and so Daryl Morey, props for all of that, and don't we really have to see what happens with Ben Simmons this offseason or Joel Embiid, whichever 
guy they decide could Whichever. potentially move, right? Because, I mean, that Houston thing that's been out there of Ben Simmons to Houston and Harden coming back, like that's a huge piece, obviously, before I can grade the offseason. So it's tentatively an A. Now, I will say this. It doesn't feel like it could get lower. <laughs> like if you bring in James Harden, it's probably well, going to be an A. It can't get lower. And what I like about the moves are is they don't seem to be giving away a lot of secrets in the sense that like those moves make sense for the current team and only look better if they make that big move. And I think that, like you said, there's still a big move out there if it is for my guy James Harden. They're bringing in a guy that's been a runner-up for the MVP, you know, five of the last six years or whatever it is. And if, if he's been in the top you know, three for the MVP, I guess I should say he won it one of those times. And then if they don't, they could still find some way to, you know, they have two superstars under 26. They've got a bunch of shooting around them. They've got a new head coach that is, you know, that always seems, new head coaches seem to do well in their first year, especially when they come into a team that was already a playoff team. Um, you know, that people forget that Ben Simmons played hurt for a few games and then didn't play their playoff series in the bubble. Um, you've heard me say several times that they were a couple of weird bounces away when they had Jimmy Butler from a real, real big run. Um, and so I just, I think that this is a strong basketball team that could have just gotten a lot better. Because as great as, you know, Al Horford's shooting percentage was, <laughs> Seth Curry is a, Seth Curry is a different guy that even if he's missed two, you're not going to sag off him to come help on Ben Simmons. If Al Horford's missed two, you're going to let him shoot the third. You're not doing that with a lot of these guys they brought in. And so I think that's a significant difference. And let's talk about the draft because they're another team that got a UK guy, right? Tyrese Maxey. <laughs> Tyrese Love Maxey. Maxey. Listen, he was projected to be a lottery pick in almost everything that I read coming into the draft. Then all of a sudden he drops and Maury snatches him up. And he's not a dude that right now you can say is a knockdown shooter. But what he is is a guy who steps up in big games like his performance elevates in the bigger games that Kentucky played. His, He's also a guy who, when he gets hot, is electric. I think the other thing that's interesting about Maxi is, so obviously being in the DFW, I got to see him play a little bit in high school. Um, we didn't match up with him in a tournament, thankfully, but I did see him in a couple of the same tournaments we were in. And I, I also noticed at Kentucky, you know, whether it's opening in the opening night game, you know, they'll play like two big time top five teams, whatever, in the opening night of the season or whatever it is. Um, he is very quick to be like, take over the moment. This is my time. It didn't matter if it was 18 on national television, opening night of college basketball season for UK, or if it was, you know, down the stretch of a, you know, a close SEC game. I guess they ended up playing the, all the conference tournaments and stuff like that, but he was all the way their guy as an 18-year-old kid. And so someone with that kind of confidence, I know the NBA is different, but he is potentially a very, very, very big pickup. The next thing we're going to talk about, the Oklahoma City Thunder. So now how do we grade the Oklahoma City Thunder and their offseason, Mr. Ainsworth? A, B, C, D, or F? So this may be where we start to differ. I really would, like, if we were grading this like it was his own thesis, think like low B. And so I guess that's going to put me at a B on this uh, grading scale. Um, it, so if you look at their, like, arguably top six guys from last year, only one of them is coming back. And we're going to talk a lot about the stuff they have coming in and how fun that is. But, man, sending out five of your best six players from a year ago is tough, tough. What do you think? Yeah, but you're sending out five of your six best players from a team that lost, what, in the first round of playoffs or whatever? I mean, it's not It's not a – with me, I think that Oklahoma City gets an A for their offseason. They had a situation where they were championship contenders <laughs> – 
with a big three. And they couldn't keep that big three together. And they've managed to keep themselves relevant with that happening. What other franchise has been able to do that? What other franchise has had championship aspirations with young guys? They end up not being able to keep it together. And then they are still championship level all the way through as those guys are going to different teams and winning. <laughs> like, you know, Kevin Durant right. goes and wins and James Harden goes and wins. And then they actually get rid of what Russell Westbrook and they go into that bubble as hot as anyone because they uh, were able to get Chris Paul in there. So I guess I look at Oklahoma City and say they weren't going to be a championship contender if they kept Gallinari, if they kept Schroeder, if they kept Steven Adams. So the fact that you get rid of these guys and you're able to get back all of these picks, you already had Billy Donovan who was out, right? Now they they promoted a, a uh, an assistant coach. The, the deal with... Uh, Oklahoma City is that they do have a young guy to build around, right? Is Shea Gilgis Alexander, another Kentucky guy. But they also <laughs> have draft picks. So I'm just, I got it pulled up here and it's from Twitter. But in 2021, they've got two first round picks and a, a pick swap with Houston. In 2022, they've got three first round picks. In 2023, they've got two first round picks and a pick swap with the Clippers. 2024, they got three first round picks. 2026, they've got three first round picks. It is nuts. The assets that they so, were able to bring in, considering that everyone knew that they had to blow it up. They continue to bring in assets, and that's why, again, it's not an F, because most teams, if you ship out your five of your best six players, it's an F, right? They lost Steven Adams, Ferguson, Schroeder, Paul, and Gallinari, as I look at this picture. It's a really cleverly done picture, but whoever's better at Photoshop than I, because it's the six of them clearly from a team photo shoot last October, and five of them are in their new jerseys, right? Um, Steven Adams in New Orleans, <laughs> Ferguson in Philadelphia. You've got Schroeder in L.A., Chris Paul in Phoenix, and Gallinari in Atlanta, I think, you know, with just Shea staying there, but I think that my bigger deal is that at some point you've got to turn those picks into something. They keep turning picks and players into more picks. And new head coach Mark Daniel can't really coach picks. He can coach players. But the the truth is they've got picks, assuming that they do the deal where they let high school kids back in the draft. They're like scouting current seventh graders, Shaka. Like they're they're like they got picks all the way up through that long now. I think that's why I'm sitting at a B is because there's potential for a long, a big, big, big team here in a couple of years, right? Where they have a couple rookie in the year type guys in a row in the next few seasons. It's just it's all potential, and so I, I can't I can't quite go higher than that when you send out all your players for potential. But that's where they are. No, absolutely. If there's any team that I trust the draft guys, it's Oklahoma City. Presty. Presty's smart. Like they will get guys. It's just it. It's unknown. And, and so, and frankly, they are a team that's probably sitting here tanking for Cade Cunningham, who, oh by the way, is at Oklahoma State. Wouldn't that be nice, right? Just bring him <laughs> in Oklahoma City, and then it's all good. So, I mean, again, I trust them as much as anyone. That's why I'm giving them an A. Let's talk about Golden State. Golden State, once upon a time, dyn- dynastic, right? Three championships mm-hmm. in four years. How would you grade their offseason? An A, B, C, D, or an F? So if you're going on things they can control, I think they actually probably had an A offseason. Um, and, and we can get into that in a second. The unfortunate thing is there's one big thing that they can't control, and that's going to bring their grade down. Because now we all know that as of Thursday morning, it sounds like a Clay Thompson was put on the season-ending IR list because of a torn Achilles, which means he's out for yet another season. And I don't know how many he's got left. He's a shooter, and so you'd think that you can sit there and shoot in the corner until you're 50, but he's also a two-way, like his 
his strength as being a two-way great defender and ACL in one leg and Achilles in the other. I know it's 2020, not 1980, but th- those are going to really severely hurt his movement. Wiseman at number two is a big pick. I like this Kelly Oubre kid. I, I've been on other podcasts where I was with Hardcore Honeys a week ago and stuff like that. Like, I think he's a really, really good piece, especially for a contending team where he doesn't have to do as much. And I think that's a good, good pickup for them. No, absolutely. Golden State's another one of these teams that I trust their player personnel department as much as any in the NBA. So if they end up keeping the pick and taking Wiseman, it feels like Wiseman's going to hit, right? Um, Kelly Oubre, to work that deal, we were able to get him in so that he could fill Clay's spot, right? Uh, and then once Clay's healthy, that's an incredible piece to have coming off the bench or in some sort of a potential death lineup where you got Clay and Steph and Draymond and Wiseman along with Oubre. Like that, that feels like something that, that's pretty positive. And that's not to say that we don't – Andrew Wiggins could still hit, right? Like, I mean – He's a guy that has all the talent, and he has all the talent in the world. So the question becomes, you know, what can Steve Kerr get out of him? And Steve Kerr does feel like the kind of coach that if anyone's going to resonate with Wiggins, it's going to be a guy like Steve Kerr. Uh, What I will say as well, like, okay, Wiseman, love it. He's the quintessential big that the NBA is looking to get, right? A guy who runs the floor, he'll play defense, he'll rebound, he can shoot. Start looking at the rankings for recruits. For freshmen that were coming in. And all of a sudden, in the second round, Nico Mannion is just sitting there. And I saw a bunch of draft projections that had Nico Mannion going in the lottery. He's a point guard out of Arizona. He Did he have, you know, a crazy great season at Arizona? No. Was he good at Arizona? Absolutely. He was definitely representative of one of the best players in the Pac-12. And so for Golden State to pick him up in the second round, that again feels like a good move. And on a team that values uh, playmaking and shooting, you picked up one of the better playmaker shooters in the draft. Now, I don't know who's going to play defense for them, but <laughs> but listen, they, they this is a team that's set up to try to outscore you 130 to 125. He, he really could have been a, like you're saying, lottery pick, top 20 pick, and they would have never seen him. Instead, he's playing the same franchise his father played for, which is kind of funny in pictures to see his dad in the short shorts, and now he's kind of <laughs> but... No, absolutely. Let's go ahead and wrap this segment, Mr. Ainsworth, with a little discussion on our teams and how we feel like they did in terms of the offseason. I'm going to go ahead and just jump in with the Knicks, and uh, the New York Knicks are the Knicks, right? So we, we're we not expecting them to be world beaters in free agency. What I will say is they were able to draft Obi Toppin, and at least they didn't overspend in the offseason <laughs> yeah. because we know that the Knicks are capable of doing that as well. Right now, the Knicks have a roster where Julius Randle is making $18 million, and then they got rid of a bunch of guys who were getting paid big money. So... Um, it does hurt to kind of see Alice Burke end up with uh, Philadelphia because I think that Burks actually can play a little bit, and I think that he'll do well in Philly. But that being said, um, the young guys who they still have in R.J. Barrett and Kevin Knox, you can develop those guys. You got Obi Toppin to come in. They did bring back Alfred Payton on a one-year deal, so uh, they let him go, and they're going to bring him back. Mitchell Robinson is still basically playing for free. Love him. You know what I mean? Love so, him. Um, 
the idea of the Knicks kind of having this, you know, failed offseason because they didn't overspend, there just wasn't anything there. The Knicks' best chance is actually in the trade market, and we'll see what happens there because the Knicks, after Oklahoma City, the Knicks have the most draft picks in the next four drafts. And we know that Oklahoma City has a disproportionate amount of draft picks in the next four drafts. The Knicks have assets that maybe they could move. So, you know, you heard rumors about Russell Westbrook, that sort of thing. That might be the Knicks' best chance of getting someone to come in and then hopefully having an impact where maybe a free agent will want to come and be second fiddle. So, like, if I'm going to grade the Knicks' offseason, I'm probably going to say, you know, probably a B. Okay, everyone's wondering. Your thoughts on the Houston Rockets and their offseason. How are you going to grade them? Uh, well, I'd say it's the opposite of quiet. Um, so I, <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, on moves they've made, Shaka, I really actually think, you know, they're very, they're very few moves and it's been a lot of talking. I, I think I give things like the Christian Wood signing a good grade. And I think I give things like moving Ariza around and those kinds of things. And they've been talking to DeMarcus Cousins in the last 48 hours and I think I give some of those things good grades. Um, Kenny Wooten Jr. looks like he was promising from he was a promising guy in your Knicks development system. We pulled him in. Um, I the big thing that's going to change this grade and the reason it would probably get an incomplete right now is all of the James Harden Russell Westbrook rumors and what does that do? Um, the Rockets, if you read Rockets, people are very firm about like listen. We're not just trading these guys away for nothing. They've got two more years committed here left. They can't just, if they want to sit out, they can sit at whatever they want to do. But we're not just giving them up for nothing because we've got them for at least two years. Like, I guess they have three years left in each of their deals, so, but the third year is a player player option. So they could opt out in that third year. But they've got two more calendar years playing in Houston. And they're like, listen, we're not swapping you out for pennies on the dollar. But it feels like teams are trying to exploit that the guys want out um, well, well, I guess they're people are ones saying it that they want out, and so teams are not offering back. You're not hearing a bunch of big all star for all star kind of trades, and so this may take a while. It may get ugly, and it may not look great. Um, but without knowing how those two things go, I don't know how you grade this full off season. No, as long as uh, Tillman Fertitta is the owner, uh, Houston, y'all got problems. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. 
All right, Shaka. Now, in a normal year, the week of Thanksgiving is full of college football rivalry games. You know, the weekend before and the day of and the weekend after are always big, big college football days in my household. And so that seems to be what's on the mind of everybody. As we're looking at the college football season this year, our thesis reads, Justin Fields is the Heisman front runner. So how do you read that thesis? I'm going to go B minus on that. How would you grade it? This is a tough deal, this Heisman this year. How are you going to grade that thesis? And we're, we're going to break down why it is so tough, but I think it's, I'm in the C, C plus, B minus range as well. I might say C plus just to be different, but I don't, don't mean to be mean to the kid that brought this forward. All right, Mr. Cummings, so we both gave this similar grades. I guess you want B minus and I want C plus just to be different. So talk to me, what makes this such a difficult thesis to grade? No, absolutely. I'll start with Justin Fields and then we could always circle back and talk about the competition. But Justin Fields, his season, as compared to other guys who just play more games, it's going to look less impressive at this point just from a statistical perspective. Like his numbers don't look as good as SEC guys. His numbers don't look as good as Big 12 guys because they've played more games. They look as impressive as any team in the country, and he is the best player on that offense. That offense goes because of all the things that he brings to the table. And when you watch the Indiana game, I think he came out of the Indiana game saying that the best player on the field was Michael Penix, who's Indiana's quarterback, versus (laughs) Justin Fields, which that's a tough deal. He doesn't have as many opportunities as other guys do to put up these signature moments. And so now when you get into that top 10 matchup and you're at home against Indiana and then you pull away and y'all get up 28, y'all need to put them suckers away and let Justin Fields get his Heisman moment. Instead, Fields threw for three interceptions in that game. Michael Penix looked like the guy who NFL scouts should be drooling over. Now, I will say that Justin Fields has impressive numbers. Justin Fields has been impressive this season. And he still throws for 300 yards in that win over Indiana on Saturday. That being said, the competition is there. (laughs) Um, There are some folks who are putting up some darn impressive numbers all over the country. I almost feel like if you didn't start the season saying that Justin Fields was one of the best quarterbacks, after Saturday, you'd be hard-pressed keeping him in the conversation. So that's kind of where I come down. What do you say, Mr. Ainsworth? Well, I think one big thing in his favor is anytime a Ohio State team goes undefeated and wins the Big Ten, the quarterback will probably have a shot at the Heisman, right? Like just generally speaking, if I told you Ohio State goes undefeated and they have a passing offense, they win the Big Ten, you're like, okay, that quarterback's probably in it. If not, you might say, well, who's the running back? And then you might, right, that might be what we're talking um, so he will always have that if they continue to win football games and he continues to put up good numbers. But I think like you were saying, I don't know if he could blame the Big Ten because, again, they did the safe thing. We're trying to wait this out. And you could argue that, you know, the, at this point, games are getting canceled right and left. So should they be back yet? That may be another thesis someday. But he has 1,200 yards, 13 touchdowns, and three interceptions on the season, which on the surface is really, really good. Right, like just through as many games as they've played, that's actually very impressive. But then you go look at like Kyle Trask in Florida, who's they played many more games, but he has twenty five hundred yards, thirty one touchdowns, also just three interceptions. It's like this, you know. I know that they've lost one game in the SEC, and Alabama probably wins the SEC and and whatnot. But that that just seems like it's very very lopsided. 
for nothing that Fields did wrong until he played a good Indiana team yesterday, right? So I think that the deal that's going to hurt him is the amount of games they play. And it's just unfortunate for him on an individual level that's happening during his last season, it appears, in college, right? And so I guess if he really wanted to come back and win the Heisman, he could. But there's going to be several millions of reasons to not do that. <laughs> um and so I just I think that it's not working out in his favor. He's improved his draft stock. He, you know, he's in competition with, you know, we haven't seen Trevor Lawrence play since he got sick, right? And so um, he's improved his draft stock and looks like that he ought to be in contention for, they're, they're certainly both top three picks. And, you know, I, I think that Justin Fields in a different year would be the number one overall pick. It just, it, it doesn't look like it's in the cards this year. Even without looking at Vegas odds, have Cal Trask slightly, slightly, slightly higher. Uh, we haven't even talked about Ian Book in Notre Dame. Again, the same kind of way that we talked about Justin Fields, the undefeated quarterback at Ohio State would normally have a good shot. An undefeated, undefeated quarterback at Notre Dame would also have a very strong shot if they continue to win out this year, right? And so Ian Book is a veteran, senior, older guy, but he probably has a shot at this as well. I just I can't pick him as the favorite. It's If it's him versus the field, I'm picking the field. No, absolutely. Again, when you say Justin Fields' statistics, his statistics aren't as impressive as Michael Penix, the quarterback from Indiana, who threw for 491 yards and five touchdowns yesterday against Ohio State. So, right. like, if you got someone in your conference who looks more impressive, that's going to be a tough sell. Now, what I will say is it helps Justin Fields that Trevor Lawrence has it played in several weeks because like people forget he's the Heisman favorite right and the fact that he missed the game and they lost we'll see what ends up happening there in terms of the Heisman but there are some guys so Kyle Trask just for folks who don't understand let me give you guys let me paint you guys a picture um my (laughs) wife and I are sitting at the uh University of Kentucky Florida game last year where the University of Kentucky is beating Florida like a drum and Felipe Franks is Florida's starting quarterback, we knock him out the game. We think, great. We're definitely going to be Florida for the second year in a row. Uh, Turns out Florida has a backup by the name of Kyle Trask, who comes into the game, leads Florida to the victory over Kentucky in that game, and then leads Florida into a big bowl game and has continued to lead Florida. If you look at Trask's numbers, they are comparable to Joe Burrow's from last season. Kyle Trask is legit. He should be the Heisman favorite as of right now because all his team does is win. The game that they lost was at Texas A&M, and it's the game where, you know, Dan Mullen looks like an idiot because he wants people in the stands with COVID. (laughs) But, I mean, if Florida's in that game, Kyle Trask isn't the reason that they lose, right? He scored Um, 38 points. Absolutely. Uh, So you look at Michael Penix. You look at Kyle Trask. Let's talk about Zach Wilson, too. So now I have been talking about BYU, (laughs) it feels like, since August. But all they do is beat the tar out of people, everyone who they play, whether it's Boise State and you expect them to be kind of good, or it's South Alabama who they played uh, yesterday and scored 66 points on, right? But Zach Wilson, who's their quarterback, currently has over 2,700 passing yards, 26 touchdowns, and only two interceptions. Feels like that dude has to, we have to talk about him for the highs of it too, right? BYU is a top 10 team. And all he does is continue to lead them to wins. And then you go to Alabama, who's the number one team in the country. And as a Kentucky fan, the last thing I want to do is talk about Alabama. Um, they beat us 63-3, <laughs> to three, in case folks are wondering. But Mac Jones, 
Now, the tough part about Mac Jones is you have to sell me on Mac Jones being the Heisman winner when I don't think he's the best player on his team's offense. I think his receivers, right. what else hurt, right? So now he's out. But I, the, the receiving core, the running backs, they're so good at Alabama that it's hard for Mac Jones to stand out. But his numbers say he should be in this Heisman conversation as well. Um, so I feel like Justin Fields has all this competition for this award with folks who are going to have better numbers because they have played more games. There's that part of it Justin Fields can never overcome. So what Justin Fields then has to do is he has to look so stellar in his uh, moments where he's in the spotlight that it's unquestioned that he's the best player and that IU game will come back to bite him, the fact that Michael Penix looks better than he did. Now, he's going to have another showcase opportunity as long as COVID doesn't change the Northwestern game on the 19th, right? And so, um, you know, that's that's going to be interesting how Justin Fields is going to look in that particular highlight showcase moment because maybe that could actually push him over the edge. But right now, I genuinely like Kyle Trask and Zach Wilson more than I like Justin Fields. Well, and Kyle Trask, if you look at what Florida's got left, unless you think you Kentucky guys can pull up an upset in the rematch, I guess, um, he, he has a pretty clear shot and pathway to the SEC title game. Um, Tennessee will be a tough rivalry game, but LSU is not LSU from a year ago. And then we just saw Kentucky get beat pretty bad this weekend. And so, that same Kentucky team beat Tennessee at Tennessee. So when you say Tennessee right. is a rivalry game, that's that's what you're hanging your hat on. <laughs> the fact that that's, that's a, a rivalry No, it's a, completely. I just, weird things happen in rivalry games. And so I guess if Trask is heading into a SEC title game, if he wins the SEC, he might, you might have to give it to him, even if they lost 41 to 38 to AM, right? If, Ian Book and Notre Dame went out and win the ACC, including beating Clemson in the title game. Man, how are you going to not look at the quarterback in Notre Dame that goes undefeated this year? And I mean, we, we saw Brady Quinn get in the fight just for being the Notre Dame quarterback. I, I think that you can do that with a lot of guys. Um, Justin Fields, though, we're giving him, again, a B minus C plus because if they go undefeated, generally speaking, Ohio State as an undefeated team has a guy invited to New York for the ceremony even if it's a defensive player like we saw a year ago, right? Like even – they will send somebody to New York to represent Ohio State if they're undefeated and win the Big Ten. And so he's going to be that guy for them, and so that put, gives him a shot. No, absolutely. He's got a shot. He's He's got numbers too. Like I don't want to diminish this. Justin Fields is not having a bad season. The, the deal is, is that in order to win the Heisman, your season needs to stand out amongst a bunch of people who are having great seasons. And his season – in my mind, just doesn't stand out enough. But you're right. He's a quarterback at Ohio State. He's going to have opportunities. So we got, we got to see how the season plays out. I don't think he should be the front runner. I think Kyle Trask should be the front runner. I, if I had a vote to give right now, I honestly would give it to Zach Wilson of BYU. So that's that's kind of where I shake out. Okay, Mr. Ainsworth, as we celebrate the Ainsworth Union, <laughs> we think about <laughs> some of the most powerful couples in sports, and we'll do a little fill in the blank segment where we can have some conversations about several of them. Now, I mean, the obvious answer is Ainsworth Cummings are the most powerful couple in sports, <laughs> but let's let's obviously we'll we'll pull away from ourselves and let's talk about some of those powerful couples. So, uh, blank is the most powerful couple in sports. What direction do you want to take that, Mister Ainsworth? Well, if you go to actual power couples, like actually together couples, um, there you know, there's stuff like Aaron Rodgers and Danica Patrick was a power couple. You had 
um, P.K. Subban and Lindsey Vaughn. You had Serena Williams and Alexis Ohanian. I, I always mess his last name up. But, you know, you had, you had <laughs> several several big couples. Um, but the winner that takes the cake, and I don't think it's close in that regard, if we're looking at actual couples, is Subert and Megan Rapinoe. Yeah. And I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean that to say that, you know, we have to sit on the actual idea of a couple for this for too long. But Subert is a four-time champion. She's an Olympic gold medalist from, you know, was it four Olympics? Um, it might have been a fifth if they'd have had the Olympics in 2020, right? Megan Rapinoe is gold boot, world champion in world, the World Cup. She has her own Olympic medals. Um, aside from just that they're fun and they're, they're really entertaining and they know how to steal the stage and those kind of things, they also are tremendous athletes in their respective fields. Um, so I think that that kind of... I don't mean to sink the question, but I feel like if we're going to sit on actual couples, that that seems like a pretty clear cut winner, don't you think? No, absolutely. And I mean, it's I was expecting you to throw out uh, Russell Wilson and Sierra as well as kind of a power couple within sport. When you think about Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird, I think that a big part of their status is what they do off the court, right? What they do off the field, and so that's where uh, Russell Wilson, I think, deserves a lot of props, right? It's not just what he does on the field it's also what he and sierra are able to do off the field right you could even get into uh the curries as well like when you start thinking about what has evolved from that union cooking shows the, the opportunities for women in terms of shoes even his daughter right even steph's daughter right right so um there's definitely some some options there i do think that it's uh megan rapino and sue bird can i can i throw one kind of you gotta, you kind of gotta jerry rig it in, right? But Jay Z <laughs> and Beyonce, in terms of power couple in Ooh. sport, considering Beyonce with the Super Bowl, considering Jay Z and his ties with, um, with his, uh, with his, well, with his whole firm, right? He's, he's, right. he's an agent, like he, he has a power brokerage, and that's not even getting into you know, the NFL tie-in that he had in terms of social justice and the things that he tried to do. So that's kind of a power couple that you can jerry-rig into that. But I would say that it's, it's got to be Sue Bird and Megan Rapino. But now, Mr. Ainsworth, I want to look at this question maybe with a different lens, right? So now let's think about just couples in sports. Let's think about two people who we think of as being together and linked when it comes to sport. And if I were to say that to you, is there a power couple or maybe a few power couples that rise to the top? Well, it feels like each like generation or iteration of the league and whatever sports league you're talking about seems to have that happening at the top of it, right? So you can go to the 90s in basketball and have Jordan Pippen, right? Absolutely. You, go, you could go to the football in a very similar generation and look at, you know, Jerry Rice, Steve Young, right? Um, you could look at... I don't know. You could go in the 2000s and go to Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison. Um, in the 2000s, you had Shaq Kobe, right? Like you had, yeah. Like I think that each, and maybe I'm clearly just basketball and football focused, but I think each generation can look at that across the board, right? No, absolutely. And you can go into uh, baseball and hockey as well. You know, so I don't want to get too deep because I don't know how many hockey listeners we have, but um, I remember when Wayne Gretzky comes to the Rangers and plays with Mark Messier, and the fact that those guys were together with Edmonton, won a bunch of Stanley Cups, and then got together at the end of their career, that was like a huge deal, right? Um, and so uh, even the uh, the Detroit Red Wings, because they had 
uh, Steve Eisenman and Sergei Fedorov, who were arguably the two best players in the league. You can look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, who had Mario Lemieux playing with Yarmir Yager, and those guys are two of the best players in the right. league, too. Right. So, right. Um, right. I mean, you could definitely go in a lot of different directions in different sports. Um, I ended up missing baseball there, but let me just say that uh, growing up uh, as a Met fan, you know, the way that we kind of thought of the Mets, we thought of them with Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, and those two, like, being inextricably. Uh, linked, right? And so um, the tough part with baseball in New York with the Yankees was that it felt like it wasn't a couple. It really felt like there were about four guys that you kind of grouped together, right, with Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, um, uh, Andy Pettit, and then Mariano Rivera. I think that that's the tough thing with Chicago, too, because, like, I think of the Bulls, like, it's not just Michael and Scotty, because you have no, to they include just... Phil in there, too, right? right? But they were just on the floor for all six, I think. That's why I do Michael and Scotty. And then so I, when I was doing research for this in baseball, like you could go back to the 20s and have Babe Ruth and Luke Eric. Like, like I guess oh, you go all the way back. You could go way back. Again, each generation seems to have their couple. Um, I think of, you know, Brady and Gronk. You know, you have Wade and LeBron. I don't know who you pick as the best. I saw Shaq and Kobe in the you know, it was a 2001 NBA playoffs lose one game in four rounds to playoffs. And it's hard for me to imagine someone more successful in that pair in that season. But no, absolutely. Um, You know, if we get into modern basketball, I mean, Splash Brothers, right? Like, to me, that's the ultimate power couple, Steph and Clay right now. Um, I do think that you could look at LeBron and AD from this year and ask questions about yeah. what that could evolve into. Right, uh, which is interesting. I, there's some names that you threw out there that were interesting to me as well. Because when you threw out the name Jerry Rice, it's interesting because you said Jerry Rice, Steve Young. I always think Jerry Rice, Joe Montana first. So yeah, I, think just, that's, I think that's just my youth. Well, I, I just think it's interesting that there's a couple guys you threw out there that you could power couple with multiple people. Like you could, yeah. put, you could put Peyton with Marvin Harrison, but you could also put Peyton with Reggie Wayne. And right. you don't lose anything there. Uh, you mentioned Tom Brady and Gronk and the fact that, you know, they did it in New England, but they also obviously are doing it now in Tampa. Tom Brady, think about this, not traditional. Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, right? right. If you think about them together, so he's another person who you can kind of link up with multiple people. And you could almost argue they both need each other pretty much, you know, a lot right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, if you were going to think, you know, modern sport, I have a few. There, there's kind of three that stood out for me. So I'm wondering if in modern sport, who would be the folks who you would say? When I say modern, I mean that there, there's still a couple right now. Like, that's what I'm thinking. So the three that stood out for me, LeBron and AD, who I mentioned, who got a ring, right? So uh, they're obviously incredibly powerful Um yeah, I think AD averaged 28 points and LeBron averaged 27, <laughs> which is nuts. Right. Like, um, those right. two guys together. Uh, Drew Brees and Sean Payton, which when I think of coach-player, they're two that are still together, that are still getting it done. New Orleans is still winning that division. <laughs> so uh, right. and that, now you got to get Drew Brees with some ribs. Like, he actually needs <laughs> ribs to play. He has 11 injured ribs, which is crazy. Um, Take mine. <laughs> you, know many, you know how many New Orleans fans are saying that? Take mine! I just like Drew, so take mine. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I'm about uh, six feet tall. I'm <laughs> the same size. Uh, the other power couple, which I think might hurt you a little bit, um, what is Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins going to be, man? That oh, is... my heart. Right in the chest. <laughs> that hits you in all the feels. Uh, what's, the, <laughs> what's the modern power couple for you when you think about sport? 
So you went, you already said LeBron AD, you mentioned Stephen Clay, and I hope we get to see them play again um, at, at a, you know, at a high level. Um, it just split up, but there was a Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan love fest going on, oh, too. Oh, absolutely. Um, when I think about football, I still think of Brady and Gronk, because that was immediately when Brady went to Tampa. It was like, oh, well, Gronk's going to come out of retirement. And then like a week later, I was like, oh, Gronk's out of retirement. Um <laughs> In football, there was, you know, he's not playing right now because he's injured, but Dak and Zeke in Dallas has been, you know, they came in together. They t- took the league by storm that first year. They've been riding, the, you know, trials and tribulations the last three years together. Um, I, I think that I think of them, and that might be my homerism, I guess, as well. Um, you already said Drew Brees and Sean Payton, but I also think of Drew Brees and Michael Thomas. Think of how much that oh, connection absolutely. helped when he, you know, um, and so anyway, I guess that's where I'd go in football. It's hard doing baseball in modern, you know, in, in modern baseball because you've got teams. The good teams have four and five guys. That's the thing. Like, like I actually wanted to go Houston Astros, but there's a lot of Astros, right? So like, if you were to pick yeah. two, maybe it's Correa and Altuve. But it it feels hard to just pick those two and leave a Verlander out, or leave a Garrett Cole out, or leave well, a George Springer out. You know? Right. And or are you gonna go like? You don't think of Mookie and Kershaw. They've played like a total of seventy-five games together. Like you know, like, <laughs> like you're not a couple yet. You're, they're they're <laughs> yeah. ready to be divorced. That's LA too. They'll be divorced in two seconds. Man. <laughs> <laughs> Friends, that is another edition of FN Sports. This is the time in the podcast where we share with you our social media contacts. So, friends, this is your opportunity. Parker, you get to share all of your wisdom from all of your many minutes of being married. So, now give everyone your social media so that way they can get all of that Ainsworth wisdom or how to keep a relationship together. It's funny you say that. As we're recording this, it's I'm about... 46 hours married. Um, so <laughs> I guess if you want wisdom from those 46 hours, you can find me at Painsworth 512 That's all one word. P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I also respond to the show's Twitter. That's at F-N Sports 2. That's F-I-N-S-P-R-T-S. The number two, all one word. I'll use dash P-A. Shaka will use dash C-C. Shaka, we got an Instagram too. We absolutely do. You can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports. You can find me on my social media, both Instagram and Twitter at Shaka Cummings at C-H-A-K-A-C-U-M-M-I-N-G-S. If you're not interested in the 46 hours of wisdom from Parker Ainsworth, know (laughs) that Mr. and Mrs. Cummings have been married for 18 years going on hopefully things will continue to work out as long as she puts up with me so uh friends thank you for listening please go out remember like subscribe share do all those wonderful things to help out the podcast and please remember when it comes to sports don't fuck with us later guys Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. 
those so-called feel-good holiday films, they can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.